Hey guys, how's everyone? I'm going to just jump right in and welcome our guest. I'm super excited to have on tonight, Mr. Scott Horton. It's so good Yay. to have you. He Hi is guys, thanks for having me. Uh, of course, uh, Fool's Errand, uh, the, it's time to end the war in Afghanistan. And you're also working on the Jacob Hornberger campaign. Tell us, what is your position in, the, uh, in that campaign? Well, I'm just a friend of, of Jacob's and I will take a little bit of credit. I called him about a year ago and browbeat him into doing this thing, I think. Um, I, I convinced him to, to do it. Um, but no, I don't officially work for him or for the campaign. Uh, but I am really excited about it. I'm doing everything I can to, you know, kind of spread my enthusiasm around to different parts of the libertarian movement. Um, unfortunately, not everyone is familiar with Jacob Hornberger, which is really unfair. I mean, he's been a really a keystone of our movement for a long since, time, uh, for 30 years. Yeah, since 1989 was when he founded the FFF, and he was a force in the Libertarian Party in the 1990s, and. He spent the whole 21st century so far fighting against the terror wars and against the drug wars and doing really great work there at FFF. And um, essentially the deal is on a scale of one to Ron Paul, he's 9.75 or better. And he's essentially good on everything. He's a master of libertarian principle of economics, but also of history and current events and of public policy and everything important that's going on. And, what it all means and what's the real reason that everything is so messed up and all of this stuff. And I just think there's probably nobody better to be our standard bearer and to right. represent the libertarian movement in this upcoming 2020 election, uh, where we're going to have so much, uh, at least potential for, uh, for attention to, you know, our movement and our cause and our criticism of the way things are now. Which I mean, as libertarians, we know that this country sorely needs. Right. Right. And, you know, that's one thing I don't see out of the other parties a lot of with their candidates is the knowledge and uh, of the history and current events, you know, and be and having their finger on their finger, their finger on the pulse of anything current really going on in regular people's lives. They are out of touch in every single way. Well, and you won't see that, right? All we get from from the duopoly are these bumper sticker moments. That, that's really all they're good for. They're not there to help anybody. They're not there to change things for the better. They're not there to try to take steps toward a better, freer world that provides all of us with more liberty and more personal autonomy. They're there to line their, their pocketbooks, to make money and to get reelected. That's what they're there for. I mean, that's the, that's the truth. And, and Scott, to what you were saying about um, on a scale of one to, to Ron Paul, right? I honestly think Jacob is better on several issues than Ron Paul is. That's I know. I'm going to yeah. get more hate mail, but it's true, guys. If you liked Ron Paul, Jacob is better than, than Ron Paul on a lot of issues. There are places that, um, that I take a, a little different path than Jacob. I'm not going to say that he's off track or he's unprincipled. We just have a different view of what the end picture might be. Um, I agree with you. In fact, I think, you know, with Ron, especially on immigration, <laughs> immigration, issues, especially and he would, he, and, and he had a voting record that really was to the right of his real position on it. I mean, if yeah. they ever ask him about it, he would always say, stop scapegoating the immigrants. The problem is the economic bubbles and the different, you know, disincentives and, and misincentives to encourage immigration beyond what would normally be while at the same time opposing the, you know, the crackdowns and all that. But then you go ahead and vote for those bills anyway, that kind of deal. So now with Ron, he's such a hero and, and so good on so many other things and accomplished so sure. much in terms of spreading, you know, the message of Liberty around to the people that for me, it's no problem whatsoever to overlook those places where we disagree. But I I'm with you. I'm actually, I think Hornberger is really closer to me on, every single little thing as far as that goes. Um, and yet, I mean, the margins we're talking about are narrow enough anyway that it makes no real difference. Um, but I think, look, there are, and I don't know a lot about all the other candidates. I know a lot about one of the other candidates um, and I know very little about any of the others, but they're all great as far as I'm concerned. I don't think there's any question that they're all principled libertarians who are all running on principle. None of them are Bill Weld 
right. um, kind of candidates, so at far, least so, so far. far. Right, oh, at least so far. Um, and so I just think Hornberger's advantage is that, like with Ron Paul, he brings that perfectly square kind of personality and character to, you know, the to the public with these radical politics, kind of, you know, essentially revolutionary politics compared to, you know, the way things are right now. And that makes him, I think, really the best messenger. And not only that, but just his age, his experience. He's got a law degree which he hadn't been a lawyer in a long time, but he has an advanced degree. He's a, you know, a, a professional on that level and he speaks on that level. And I think that, you know, look with the, um, essentially everything in America right now is at a crisis pitch. And at the same time, coincidentally, you know, virtually all of our most important social problems and divisions are, things that our government has done to us mm -hmm. and things that could actually be healed up pretty quickly if we would just make them stop doing the things that we're doing. So in other words, rather than proposing some massive new, you know, Hornberger doctrine where we're going to change the government from one thing into another thing. And then that is going to be the reform that people really wanted or whatever. And so we're just going to, you know, he's running on stopping everything that they're doing so we're going to stop generating more terrorism we're going to stop driving up the cost of health care so high that then you need government to help you pay your bills we're going to stop you know whatever the the problems is the war on drugs i know the racial divisions in this country are reaching a fever pitch and you can you know you'd be right to blame a lot of the ridiculous leftist ideology now and social justice ideology and whatever but the reality is that the state treats poor and black and brown minorities horribly and almost all in the name of the war on drugs. And so it's, it's easy to perceive, it's easy to see why at least they would think that the white majority wants it this way and no matter what, just will refuse forever to call off the drug war dogs. And that's not fair and it's not right. Just because, you know, the white, majority by and large does not have to suffer the consequences of say you know 3 a.m uh no knock swat raids and right. all of this kind of thing it doesn't mean that it's okay at all that this is happening to other people in our society and you can see why from the point of view of racial minorities and poor people because poor whites have to put up with the same kind of thing of course mm -hmm. that um that essentially the people with the power and not just the government but the people in the democracy, the supermajority, that they just don't care or that they like it this way. They think it should be this way. And there's such repercussions from that. And not just from the, the, the drug abuse, but all of the consequences of the prohibition and the destruction of families in the name of cracking down on contraband and all these things. And this is something that Jacob Hornberger has been good on this whole time. It's something that he really understands. It's not a matter of you know, trying to pander to different factions or anything like that. It's a matter of, look, this is not fair, okay? It is not right what is happening right now. And what we're going to do about it is we're going to make these cops go get real jobs and leave the people of this country the hell alone. Mm -hmm. We're not going to do the what have you got in your pocket game anymore, ever again. You know, I just saw one last night. There's this show. I don't watch much TV, but I just saw flipping through last night. There's a show called Live PD where I guess through Wi-Fi and satellite hookups and whatever, they're literally showing you. It's like the TV show Cops, only it's actually live as they pull people over. I and as I, as I turned it on, this guy, the story is, this poor black guy was driving around on a bicycle at night without a light. And so they nabbed him and then they found a needle in his pocket. And then it turns out he's on probation for a previous drug charge. And so now they're arresting him. They're going to revoke his probation. And he's probably going to do, what, five years minimum on a revoked probation when he was only on probation for a drug charge in the first place. Now he's only getting revoked on a drug charge in the second place. And he only got pulled over because he didn't have a light on his bicycle. Like this is East Germany or something. And these cops think they're heroes as they cart this guy off to jail. And I don't know what percentage of the audience watching at home on TV think that this is absolutely fine, but it's not. 
And it's the kind of thing, and this is what I really like about Jacob Hornberger too, is that this is not all just academic to him. He can't stand it that this is how it goes. He can't stand it that there are innocent people sitting in jail on a what's in your pocket charge where when they should be home with their family. He hates I, it, you know, I, and, sure. and that's why I love him so much because he's a real crusader for what is right here. I you know? shared a story on my Facebook page, this couple, young couple, right? They have a baby, their first baby. Baby has a heart defect. They're being seen in a hospital. They take the baby in to the ER. Baby's not feeling well. They're a little concerned. The doctors at this hospital suggest um, a therapy that these parents aren't real comfortable with. When they ask for a second opinion, they get threatened with CPS. Oh so the mother takes the baby against medical advice straight from that hospital to Kaiser Permanente, very good hospital, has the baby checked in and seen and monitored. Her cardiologist is called. Baby's being monitored. Kaiser Permanente says, I, we, we think we've got everything under control. Parents are appropriate. We're going to go ahead and send the baby home. Two days later, CPS and the police show up at their door, rip their baby from their arms, take her back to the first hospital, so she can have the experimental treatment that the parents didn't want done. Oh, shit. Mom gets one hour of supervised visitation in the hospital with her baby right now for seeking uh, medical care. This yeah, happens no, every million. day. Yeah, if you if you read the the Free Thought Project or any of these things, and you know, before the big Black Lives Matter protests broke out in 2015, I had friends of mine who were just regular people that I know from real life who are not political people at all. We're just regular people who live their life on Facebook, just like everybody else. And they were saying to me, Hey Scott, tell me what is going on with the cops these days? It's just crazy. It's so out of control. And, um, you know, unlike in this one and child protective services is a problem in every single state in the union, probably. Um, and much of that it sounds like not pr that particular case, but much of that, of course, is all based off of the war on drugs too. Sure. The pretext for most of these stops are, you know, drug war problems in the first place. Right. And then the attitude is after all this time where, you know, these meathead cops can't figure out that there's this weird new voodoo science called economics that proves that you can not eliminate these substances with prohibition. That all you do, the more you crack down, the higher up you drive the price, the more you induce new people into the market to provide the supply and around you go. There is no solution to it in that way, but they can't figure that out. So in their frustration, all they do is just militarize more and more they, you know, kick in doors in the middle of the night, uh, do no knock uh, SWAT raids, escalate, arm up, use armored personnel carriers and high powered rifles and every other thing. That's all they can think of to do is in, and send the cops to Israel to train with the Shin Bet and the IDF about this is how we treat the Palestinians and then send them home to the to the United States to treat the American people this way. And um you know, that's essentially you leave it up to them. That's all they will do is continue to escalate and escalate and escalate the thing. And yet it would all be canceled overnight with a libertarian presidency because the states cannot keep this up without all the federal subsidy. And the president himself without Congress could simply with his word reschedule, as they put it, um, all of the illegal substances, heroin and cocaine and pills and whatever you want. He could put them on schedule three, essentially and make them non-prosecutable, work hard on actually outright legalizing the trade in these substances, which is not just the possession, but the trade, which is the most important thing, to bring the black market business in cocaine and heroin especially into the open market where it can be handled, uh, you know, and the problems can be dealt with, uh, the problems of drug abuse can be dealt with that much easier. And I mean, then all the cops are going to have to get jobs and they're going to have to figure out different pretexts to kick in our doors in the middle of the night now. Well, in the drug war, there are things that people don't realize. I, I, and I didn't used to think that. Now I'm convinced, right? Like, I just assumed if I can see this, everybody can see this, right? That's not the case. Um, the, there are a million other little things that are linked to this racist war on drugs, right? Th there are. When you look at areas where... Um, 
a paramilitary police force, because that's what they are, starts cracking down more on illegal substances, largely right now heroin, right? Because we've got opiates are under attack. So people are shifting to heroin. So we're seeing this happen um, in places like Appalachia. It's a big thing right now, a big problem. You see increases in HIV, in syphilis, in gonorrhea, and none of these things are getting treated. Because if you go into the doctor's office and the doctor thinks you're a drug addict, they're going to test you. And if you maybe have kids, instead of getting you some help, we're going to send CPS to your, to your door. And people know this. So they don't go get help. They don't get tested. They don't get screened. It, it, wow. The problem is way bigger than That's just a simple possession. And I think people are failing to see that. It's yeah, just, well, it's there's the overdose the, deaths. Yeah. Lately, it's the fentanyl is what's causing just an epidemic where tens of thousands of people a year are dying now. And it's because instead of just shooting up heroin, they're not exactly sure what they're shooting up and in what concentrations. And so they're overdosing, you know, quite literally misdosing yep. and saying, okay, I think this much is the right amount. And it turns out that unlike the last shot, that was 5%. This one is 25% fentanyl and they drop dead on the ground stop breathing heart stops and they're dead and so and you know this is the thing too is going back over generations the idea essentially was drug addiction is a moral failing and if you're a junkie that's because you're a scumbag and a loser and you deserve whatever you get if poor black people have a problem with smoking cocaine in the poor ghettos in the 1980s and the 1990s well that's their fault for being such terrible people the fact that we know that the U.S. government were the ones who were bringing in that supply while at the same time keeping possession and use illegal and trade in it illegal, keeping the price artificially high, which is an artificial inducement, again, to high potency, you know, poor people favoring crack over cocaine for, you know, more bang for your buck, essentially, with the artificially high prices. Um, they have the same problem with meth, which is essentially just poor man's cocaine. If if you know, there's a, a giant crackdown on cocaine possession and cocaine trade in certain areas of the country. Oh, people just make meth instead. You don't need a, mm -hmm. a coca plant to make meth. You can cook that stuff in a barrel in your backyard, you know. Soda bottles. seen it done. Or soda bottles. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I mean, you have, I mean, honestly, the second and third and fourth and, 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 <laughs> and fifth order effects of all of this and on family life, too. I mean, the fact of the matter is the the kids who get in trouble the most, whether you're talking about mass shooters at public schools or whether you're just talking about, you know, gangsters in poor black neighborhoods uh, in South Chicago running drugs or whether you're just talking about in any town, in any neighborhood, kids breaking into cars, causing trouble at night, whoever it is, they're the kids without dads. Because if they had dads, they know that their dad would kick their ass for behaving like that. And but they have a, only a mom and they know they can walk all over her and do whatever they want. And so they do. And those are the kids that are in trouble. Well, where are their dads? The government kidnapped their dads and locked them in cages, mostly over what? Process crimes, possession and offenses and revocation of probation over dirty urine and over just essentially hounding these people. I mean, in this country, we're, we're off the subject of Hornberger, but this all gets in with Hornberger's change that he's promising here on this issue. I mean, we have in this country, imagine a military industrial complex, but for child prisons. Mm -hmm. And they call it, they named it this in the official, you know, academic literature, the school to prison pipeline, pipeline, mm -hmm. pipeline where what we do is we put you in jail if you don't put your kid in a government school. And then, I mean, assuming you can't afford a private school, which is almost everybody, right? Yeah. Or can't afford a homeschool, which is almost everybody. And then you put your kid in the government school and now they're just looking for a chance to call the cops on your kid and to have them put in juvie because it's just a matter of body count like the Vietnam War. We got to get those numbers up and that's how we know we're doing a good job or know that we're not or whatever it is. And so you have schools who are essentially in the business of figuring out which kids they can send on to juvie, which sounds like some crazy either one conspiracy theory that couldn't possibly be right or two like a description of the way things worked in east germany under soviet communism 
right? Look, this is the United States of America. And we talk about this like, yeah, well, you know, business is business and that's how it goes. Scott, I'm in Oklahoma where we lead the world, not the country, the fucking world in incarceration of women per capita. And we're like number two or three for men. Lead the fucking world. That should terrify people. Mm-hmm. It should yeah. terrify people. And it's essentially, this is all, it's a pretext. You know, when I was a kid, you guys might remember this. When I was a kid, people used to say, in all earnesty, and you don't hear people talk this way anymore, uh, hardly ever at all. But when I was a kid, people would say, hey, this is America. Uh-huh. And what that meant was, you can't do that. What right. that meant was around here, we care enough about freedom that that is a line that you just can't cross. That meant that anywhere else in the world, maybe you could get away with that, but not here. This is America where we're free and it matters to us and we're not giving in. But nobody so, says that anymore, do they? Nobody no. says, yeah, go ahead. It's a free country because that cliche is dead because it's not a free country at all. They'll continue to pass laws until essentially there's a book like this called Three Felonies a Day about how every single American is guilty of three felonies a day. And those are just federal crimes. Never mind in your state. You're guilty of three felonies a day just for getting out of the wrong side of the bed. You know, for God knows what regulation you're crossing that any FBI agent. And I actually when I drove a cab, I met an FBI agent. It sounds like a cliche and whatever, but it's true. I met an FBI agent in my cab who said essentially like pointing at random people on the sidewalk. You see that guy right there or that guy right there, any person you pick him out, I could figure out how to put him in prison for 25 sure. years. That's so That's scary. So, you know, something you said a minute ago, um, let's talk about economics. Um, you want to talk about Jacob Hornberger, and I think that's one of the places he's strongest is economically. Yeah. So let's go there. One of the things that you brought up is, you know, the police are locking up their dads. Um, I, I think it's bigger than kids just thinking they can walk all over mom. In today's economic climate, we're raising a family almost always requires two incomes versus one. You're talking about moms who are working 70 and 80 and 90 hours a week to take care of this child and still be able to put some money on the books for their husband who's locked up for a simple possession or his third DUI because he wasn't driving, but his key was in the ignition when he passed out in his car trying to make a better decision. And we were going to bust him and lock him up for 25 years any fucking way. That's a case that just happened here like two years ago. True story. Dude didn't want to drive. Figured he'd sleep it off, but because his keys were in the ignition and he already had two DUIs, now he's a three-strike loser and he's serving 25 years on that last DUI for not even operating a vehicle, right? Um, How do we fix that, the whole economic side of it? Um, For me, as a veteran, I immediately say we stop bombing brown people. We stop bombing other countries. And we, we save a shit ton of money really quick, really quick. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, honestly, the, the root of all evil is the inflationary money system. And even the empire itself is driven by that. And without the ability of the central government to pass out licenses to banks, to expand bank credit, to create new money and the power of the central bank to monetize debt, to buy government debt with new money that they create. Without that, we wouldn't be able to have a world empire. They had to raise enough taxes. Remember the old Bugs Bunny cartoons? They'd have the sign, buy U.S. war bonds and all this stuff. But they had to actually sell war bonds and raise taxes in order to have these wars. It just wouldn't happen. The American people absolutely would not stand for it, would not pay. Uh, But instead, what they do is they bar it off from Korea and China and whoever, and they monetize the rest. And what that means is essentially they cause this terrible boom and bust cycle. So you could have inflation across the board and say low level inflation, just for argument's sake, two or 3% inflation across the board. And that would cause problems, but at least everybody can, you know, most everybody can sort of take that into account in their economic planning. But what happens is we don't get that. We don't get two or 3% across the board. We get giant bubbles in certain sectors like tech, stocks, housing, et cetera. And then this causes then uh, uh, student debt. This causes then for major corrections. And so the 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 prosperity is essentially artificially uh, high. 
And then that's what causes the crash. Now they teach us in school that this is what capitalism does is it causes the boom and then the bust. And that the reason we have the central bank is so that it will smooth out the boom and the bust. And it will, as they put it, take away the punch bowl before everybody gets too drunk and, you know, end the party early, rain on the parade in order to prevent it from going over the cliff uh, is supposed to be the job of the bank. That's the way they sell it. But instead, that's not what happens. And instead, we get this massive boom bust crash every 10 or 12 years or so. We got another one coming. You can hear Donald Trump constantly harassing the Fed to cut the rates and cut the rates and cut the rates to prolong the bubble just a little bit longer so he can get reelected. In fact, Ron Paul pointed out that the former chair of the New York Fed actually wrote an article recently for Barron's or the Financial Times or something like that saying, we ought to cause a recession now. We ought to jack up interest rates now, force a recession in order to get rid of Trump. That they would play politics with the economy like that just in order to try to get rid of this president. While at the same time, he's playing a political war against them, trying to get them to continue to inflate. And so this is the root of everything, right? This is why everyone has to have a two income uh, family. Uh, this is why, you know, you have people working three and four part-time jobs. And this is why if you have, you know, a mom and a pop business selling furniture or, you know, whatever kind of regular, uh, uh, you know, one or two uh, stores in your chain of your sole proprietorship type small business organization, why you get completely knocked on your ass every 10 or 12 years and have to start all over again. And, you know, you can see even in the business press, they admit that the recovery from the last crash has really only been for the top half or even less like the top third or top quarter of the economic of the people, you know, as you rank them on the economic ladder in society, whereas Certainly the bottom half of American, uh, you know, income earners, wage earners and those kinds of people have not really felt a recovery at all. And they're happy now to even have jobs, but they haven't had a cost of living increase for the devaluation of the money this whole time. And there's still, you know, massive. It's still a hirer's market and not a laborer's market by far, mm -hmm. even though we're now 10 years after the crash and and then facing another one. And so. <laughs> Whether it's you know infrastructure, they spent and I should mention they spent six and a half trillion dollars on just the terror wars in this century so far, and mm -hmm. you know most especially in Iraq and Afghanistan, but of course also Libya, Syria, Yemen, Yemen. And Somalia, and across Africa, Bosnia. And they killed more than a million people, and um, you know you're absolutely right that then what that means is for the people whose spouse is sitting in jail on a contraband charge and they're trying to get by it and it means that they do not have the time if they're going to pay the rent they're not going to have the time to spend with their kids and on the margin this is everything you know there's a book called secrets of the temple about the federal reserve in the 1980s mm -hmm. and they talk in there about and it's really a pro-inflation kind of a book the way it's written it's an attack on volcker for forcing the recession that they had been delaying and delaying and delaying for a decade <coughs> um, but in that book they talk about how the at the fed they keep records on and and very detailed current statistics on not just bankruptcies and you know imports and exports and that kind of thing but they keep track of the homes in foreclosure mm -hmm. they keep track of divorces they keep track of foster care rates. They keep track of suicides. They keep track of alcoholism. They keep track of all of the most important indicators of the health of society, especially at the lowest levels, economically speaking. And they know that what they do destroys lives. They know that what they do causes the divorce rate to go up, the foster care rate to go up, the suicide rate to go up. And in fact, they measure their virtue in their willingness to continue to do the right thing that hurts these terrible people so badly. And that's how they know that what great public servants they are, that they do this to people deliberately because it's the right thing to do. Well, when in fact, then, all it is, is them trying to correct their last mistake. Right. And, and the drug court, drug court system proves that, right? The majority of, of first-time offender or second-time offender drug court cases, you're talking about a 24-month maximum overhaul 
locked into the system, attending classes, going to therapy, going to treatment, right? 24 months of ordered treatment normally turns into right around five years of being locked into the system because it's profitable. Yeah. And it's very easy to fuck up, right? Because there's so many rules you have to have. It's very, very intensive, isn't it? Like you have to be very involved. It's like, uh, I don't know. I knew somebody in this program who was in drug court several years ago who I knew, but uh, not very well. It was insane, though, the amount of time she had to go to court and go to classes and meetings or therapy or whatnot. And I think it's insane that if you get uh, popped for any kind of drug charge, you automatically are treated as a uh, uh, an addict. Like a violent criminal. You're treated as a yeah. violent criminal. No, I'm saying yeah, I know a guy who I know a guy who got busted just for selling weed. You yeah. know, just old Mexican dirt weed. And he later said, "Oh, he wished he had just taken the full time. Never even mind plea bargain. He just wished he'd done the maximum sentence of five years or seven years or whatever it was, because he ended up doing that time anyway, and then some. Mm-hmm. Plus, while he was out, constantly having to take the bus and go down there and pee in a cup and go and, and whatever, and pay and that, it, pay and then get the revoked right. anyway." Right, yeah, take you, all the classes and then get revoked anyway and go back to the pen anyway. Mm-hmm. So it'd be better to just go and take the prison time than take probation and get it revoked over and over again and this kind of thing. And of course, you know, if you're a poor person, you don't have a car or if you do, it doesn't run that well. And if you have a job at all, you have to what? Essentially lose your job so that you can take Thursday all day off so that yep. you can go and sit in court and go to these classes and go to all these things. And you, you pay know, for those classes. You pay for those classes. You pay court fees. You pay for the right. drug tests. Thousands yeah. of thousands of dollars. Payments every month for five or six years. It's profitable. And that's right. why it's they a do racket. it. It's all it is is right. a racket. Absolutely. Is if you get uh, in trouble for a first time DUI or any kind of, um, you know, drug, regardless of what the drug is, they treat you as an addict. But on the other side of it, if you get popped a little bit later on, you're a criminal. You're no longer an addict. They don't want to get you help. No longer require you to go get all this fucking treatment and join AA or whatever the case may be the first time around when you were an addict who got a ticket and, you know, whatever. Now you're a criminal and fuck your health you're just going to pay the price. So it's like they want it to be both ways. And that is because it is profitable on so many levels because they have all these layers in there of these things that they make you do and make Mm -hmm. you pay for doing them. Right. And and so you're an addict because you smoked some pot, Mm -hmm. but I can go to my doctor, get a prescription for fentanyl. So when, when you look at this, We all want to slam, you want to slam the drug dealer on the corner, right? Those corner drug dealers, they must be bad guys because they're selling pot to people and they're selling pills to people. So is your fucking pharmacist and the government shakes his hand because they're getting a cut of it. And that is the problem. The the government doesn't have a problem with anybody using drugs. The government has a problem with not getting their fucking cut of it. Yep. Yep. The biggest mafia is basically, and the quicker people realize that and how organized they are, the better. Sarah Daggers, Sarah Daggers, when she talks about sex work, right, and sex workers' rights, um, she said uh, the move is decriminalization and not legalization, and here's why. Legalization makes the government the pimp. Legalization, when we're talking about substances, it makes the government the dealer. We don't want dealers. We don't want pimps. We want a free society where people can choose to voluntarily interact and trade. No, I don't know what they mean by that. I mean, I think that's wrong. Decriminalization means, okay, we won't bust you for having some in your pocket, but we will bust you for trading with somebody else. We will bust you for being in the business of it. Whereas legalization means, no, you cancel the black market. You bring it into the open market. It's not government becomes a drug dealer, it's Walgreens or CVS becomes oh, them too, yeah. supply, which is exactly how it should be. And then, you know, you're getting pure stuff and that kind of thing. So I'm not exactly sure, you know, the jargon that as, as they're using it in terms of sex work, but I think of decriminalization when we're talking about drugs as essentially a half measure, right? That like, okay, well, if you have less than two ounces of pot, we'll write you a ticket. That's instead not of how it is. That's how it is in Austin now. 
I think like I think like true libertarian decriminalization means this is not a crime. Yeah, in any way. Yeah, but in you know legalization means well ish. Legalization, um many times, especially in today's society, means this isn't a crime if you pay us a user fee. Well, yeah, I mean, they regulate the hell out of it in, in you know, Washington and, and Colorado and all that. Although I think they're they're learning because it's obvious it's just the simple iron laws of economics. That because right. of all of their restrictions and all of the cronyism and all the licensing, that essentially prices are still so high that they provide a place for the black market to continue to thrive. There's nothing special about pot that makes right. it a black market you know, type of a substance. It's right. just that the price is still so artificially high and the hoops that you have to jump through in order to get it become not worth it. The licensing and the taxes and all of that kind of thing. So at some point, I don't think they're going to repeal legalization in those states. I think what they're going to do is they're going to learn the lessons that really we continue to drive the price up artificially. And that's what is causing the problem because it is, that is what's causing the problem. So you know, but by the way, in those states where they have legalized pot, the overdose deaths on opiates, whether pills or black market heroin, have gone way down or at least, you know, a marginal difference, a few percent, which means tens or hundreds of people who otherwise would have been dead, who instead of shooting up are instead saying, well, I got some really good weed. I'll just smoke instead and that'll be good enough. And then therefore they're not dying. So. Right. And you'll hear anyway. people say that number is statistically irrelevant. Well, let me tell you something. It, 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 it may be scientifically a statistically irrelevant number. It stops being statistically irrelevant when it's your cousin or your yeah. sister or your mother. That's right. That's right. And look, I'm about the whole moral failing thing again, that I think people can see now that you look at the heroin epidemic where, wait a minute, these are people that you know and love. These, this is somebody's sister, somebody's brother, somebody's favorite auntie. So stop pretending that they're all criminals. Stop pretending that they're all scumbags. Apparently, chemical dependency has some other factors at play other than mm -hmm. just being a bad person. And, you know, why would you hire your essentially your security guards, right? The guys who are here to prevent or at least investigate real crimes when they occur. Why would you put them in charge of people's health? Why would you put them in charge of deciding who's allowed to have what in their pocket and what is the best thing? for people taking care of themselves. Exactly. Um, I don't think anybody would dispute that if you abuse too much cocaine for too long, that it'll do bad things to you, right? But it's absolutely disputable that that means that you'll become a criminal. Like right. maybe if you're a heroin junkie, maybe that's the kind of thing that, that's the kind of desperation that'll have you climb in somebody's window to steal a TV in the night or whatever. But cocaine use, I've known people who were strung out as can be on cocaine, rock bottom, and they still were only hurting themselves and nobody else. They still were safe to drive. They still got along okay with their friends and family, even if their personality was suffering a bit. It's pretty hard to justify. I've seen the worst of cocaine abuse before. It's pretty hard to justify kidnapping somebody and locking them in a cage for using cocaine too much. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And yet, frankly, I've never even done it in my life. I smoke plenty of weed, but um, I've never <laughs> done cocaine. It's not my thing. Uh, you know, hard drugs. I don't, I avoid that kind of thing. But, you know, the idea that somehow cocaine abuse would be such a social ill that now we need a police state to prevent it. I mean, that's just stupid and wrong. The only people who think that are people who don't know the first thing about it. And if they did, they would know that. You know what cocaine really does to people? Here's what it does. It makes them stay up later so they can drink longer and have a good time until later hours in the morning. That's essentially it. That's yeah, or what it, get more work done or cl yeah. clean their house more thoroughly or, or figure out how to get pretty girls to like them. Something like that. Pretty much the same thing as Adderall that we yeah. prescribe to six year olds. Yeah, yeah there you go. No, that's different. You got to pay your taxes and everything. for Right. That, so. So, and look, really, if we look at Portugal, and we look at the data that's coming out of Portugal, I would even argue that um, being a heroin user is, alone is going to turn you into a criminal. Uh, to me, it seems very clear when we look at the data coming out of places like Portugal, that it's the black market in combination with use right. that is creating criminals, not the use alone. Right. 
And a junkie will steal. Like I've I've been stolen from by yeah, a heroin addict. If you're a heroin but, addict, you're probably not working after a while, and then you're yeah. gonna have to find a way to feed your habit. Look, there are a lot of addicts and a lot of alcoholics who work next to you, who work in our hospitals, our banks, and our schools, and nobody has a fucking clue that they're an addict other than them. Right. Right. That's true. And again, yeah, the only reason a junkie's really got to steal is because heroin costs too much, and it costs too much because it's illegal. If they could just get it at Walgreens, it'd be the price of a pack of cigarettes. Right. And then that's not to say that heroin is great or whatever, but, you know, it's obvious. It should be so obvious that you don't even need drug courts or anything else. You completely legalize these substances in every way and then just keep government out of it. What if I dream a genie just sent the whole government to hell on a magic wish of mine and then we just had to deal with this problem as a society without a state? Well, I think we'd be able to do that just fine. I think wherever there's a demand in the market for rehab services for people who want it and need it, well, then that's exactly what will happen. As long as there's open entry into the market, you'll have people... And look, who's the best at dealing with addicts? Recovering addicts. addicts. Yeah. Right. Who were like, listen, man, I've been there. I can help you. And in fact, my my good friend who was so strung out on cocaine became a hero who's, you know, done nothing but save lives ever since he got his own act together by going out and finding other people with drug problems and helping them out, especially people with alcohol problems and opiate problems. These are the things that'll really kill you. And yeah. and you know, so. You don't need a bunch of cops kicking in doors to solve this social problem whatsoever. It's, it, you know what, when I learned, when they taught in government school, uh, I guess it was probably seventh grade when they taught us the history of alcohol prohibition and how, you know what, these people really meant well. I mean, the fact of the matter is you look at who's beating their wife at night. It's the drunk who's beating his wife at night. If you look at, you know, who's causing the most social problems, uh, it's substance wise alcohol plays a huge role in especially all kinds of violence, but all kinds of whatever workplace accidents and all kinds of things. If you're an insurance adjuster, you could probably explain why alcohol is a real problem. And these people thought that they could make it go away by making it illegal. And the reality was, even as they taught it to us in government school, that it just didn't work. And it's okay to admit that because it was FDR who oversaw the repeal, who said this just isn't working. We can call this off now. And since FDR is the worldwide greatest hero ever, then I guess it's okay. Then since FDR admitted, government just doesn't have the power to make people stop drinking. They do no, have the power to tear America apart in the name of trying, but they don't have the power to make it go away. Unlike I Dream of Genie, they don't provide magic wishes. All they do is attempt to use force to make whatever change they're trying to make. And in virtually all cases, all it does is backfire. And as we know from, you know, famously from Prohibition, is all they did was create these giant criminal gangs. Most famously, the leader Al Capone from Chicago is his name has become kind of shorthand for, you know, this is the results of not alcohol trade and drinking and alcoholism, but this is the result of attempting to prohibit alcohol is you create Al Capones. You create gangsters, you turn the trade over to criminals. And so it's just as simple as that. It's the exact same thing with heroin and liberals who do understand that, people who lean left who do understand that need to understand it's the very same thing with guns too. Mm -hmm. You try to outlaw and prohibit guns. All you do, you drive up the price. You turn the trade over to people who are willing to use guns in order to settle their differences uh, without thinking twice about it. And you make criminals out of people who otherwise all they're doing is drinking a beer while holding a gun and well, not actually doing anything to anyone at all. And, and it's the people who, um, you know, liberals and, and leftists think that they're sticking up for the most are the ones who suffer the most from those kinds of policies. If you look at who's sitting in prison right now on a gun possession charge, it's poor black people. It's not rich white guys. I guess liberals fantasize that it's all a bunch of rich, you know, white redneck Republican hunters out in the area are going to be the ones getting all of their rifles taken away and all of that kinds of thing. But that's well, not right at all. It's their very same constituencies are the ones who are 
under arrest for having a gun, not for doing anything to anyone with it, but for having it when they didn't have the proper permission to do so. Well, and there are a couple of the things that, that always just like, I never get where the disconnect is. I don't understand how you can try and make this, this well-reasoned argument for gun control. And many on the left do. They, they make a, a very well-worded argument. Um, but not see the multiple places of hypocrisy, right? Like, um, I, I like to remind people that the Second Amendment wasn't written to protect us from the Great Elk Uprising of 2020, right? But from a tyrannical government. And when I say that, I, I'll he, it, it, here's what I get from the left. Um, do you really think that a bunch of Americans with guns are going to be able to stop this militarized military that we have? Tanks and... Um, Have yeah, so far... Yes. Why are we not um, under martial law right now? Right. We're not yes. under martial law right now because we have hundreds of millions of armed American citizens because we have mutually mm -hmm. assured destruction. Well, Just like I, what's prevented us from going to war with Russia, it's what's prevented our government from going to war with us. We lost in Vietnam, right, to soldiers with pitchforks, okay, number yeah, one. Peasants. Yeah, peasants. Not even soldiers at all, guerrillas. Okay. Same thing in Afghanistan, same thing in Iraq War II. Right. So that happens. Number two, I just saw some stats, um, saw a, a headline that said that this Black Friday, Americans bought enough guns to fully arm the U.S. Marine Corps. Yes, I saw that. So, yeah, we, I'm confident we can take out the Marine Corps. We have more guns than they do. <laughs> so I mean, I number two, like the people on the left will say, um, you should never own a gun. I, I don't own guns. I would never own guns. Stop fucking lying to yourselves. Every American owns guns. Yeah. If you think you don't own a gun, come down the street you, need, you need to wake, wake up. The difference is I store mine in my gun safe. You pay a cop to store yours. If I need to use mine, I will use mine. You pay a cop to use yours for you. But you most certainly own guns. Do not kid yourself. Yeah. You, you have no moral high ground there because you pay somebody else to defend you. You don't have moral high ground. You just don't. No, I mean, the, the part of the problem is, too, is the media narratives here are never honest. Where They they never admit on TV that certainly more than a million times a year, every year in this country, and there are people who count this, people brandish and or discharge firearms in self-defense. And, <coughs> you know, a lot of times that means not necessarily shooting someone, but maybe just pulling a gun out and saying, you better turn around and go pick a fight with somebody else or firing a shot in the air, a warning shot that scares somebody away or, you know, and otherwise deters somebody. And then there are also at least thousands of cases of justifiable homicide every year or justifiable shootings mm -hmm. where regular civilians use guns to protect their lives. And, you know, from aggressors and that's people climbing in their window or whatever it is, you know, on the on the AR-15, Joe Biden famously said in the Obama years that you just don't need an AR-15. If you need home defense, get a shotgun. And he said that's what he and then he said his his advice to his wife, they live out in the in the uh, wilderness somewhere, you know, out in the rural area. And he says, if anybody ever comes in on the territory, you just fire off your double barrel shotgun in the air, you know, like blindly, and that'll scare them away. Well, first of all, I mean, you could hurt innocent people. It's not really good advice to just fire blindly, yeah, you know, no. whatever. But on the other hand, too, I saw this video going around at the time. This was back then. And the video was of all women holding and shooting AR-15 rifles and doing okay with them. And then as a bunch of women firing shotguns and all of them essentially shrieking and dropping the thing because it goes <laughs> boom and it hits their shoulders so hard and they go, ah, and they drop the goddamn shotgun and just, and it just shows it. And it was clip after clip after clip after clip of essentially guess what for a woman in a situation trying to defend her home while her husband's not there. An AR 15 is actually a far more useful weapon far easier to handle it doesn't shoot buckshot that sprays you know nine bullets that could hit somebody and joe biden doesn't know the first thing about what he's talking about does he Clearly. big surprise you know Clearly. that in fact a double barrel <laughs> shotgun in the hands of his wife is probably not at all the best tool for her to use if somebody is you know coming to their house at night uh that kind of thing 
It's a much um, heavier weapon too, and, it, and so, a lot of things come down to leverage. My arms are not as long as as, as yours probably yeah. are. Well, and the recoil too, you know, is the thing. An AR-15 is loud, but it it um, I guess maybe not all of them, but many of them have uh, extra spring in the hollow stock that causes it to have less recoil and mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And I guess it would have less recoil anyway compared to a shotgun slug. Yeah, it's um, a smaller round. Yeah. Um, but so anyway, point being that an AR-15 is absolutely a great tool for home defense. You know, also you a whole lot one. of fun to shoot. And if you live in Nebraska and reach out to Dre because their county does range days once a month and you can go down and hang out and oh, cool. shoot an AR. Yes. And John told me already, I, my birthday is at the end of January. I already know what I'm getting because apparently you're not going to get them for much longer. Uh, it's some sort of AR-15 handgun, but it doesn't look at all like a handgun. <laughs> I'm super excited. So there's that. So we need to wrap. So Scott, please. Tell our viewers where to find your stuff, pimp what you need to, and like for sure, whatever you want to get out there, go oh, for wait, it. Oh, wait, before you do that, do you happen yeah. to know what Jacob Hornberger's position on nuclear energy is? Oh, yeah. It, all our oh. guests have this. You know what? That's a very good question. I don't know the answer to that. All right. Um, I, know he, I know he wants to get rid of nuclear weapons. Um, I'm not, actually, I'm not sure if he wants to get rid of all nuclear weapons, but I know he's definitely good on getting rid of, getting rid of as many as possible maybe all um, nuclear power is a great question because uh, this is something that has really possibly surprisingly to people caused major divisions in the libertarian movement back in history where people argued about you know the external uh, externalities um, the external costs and the subsidies required and all of the different things and it's it's this much cleaner, but it's that much more dangerous if there is a problem and all these kinds of things. And a lot of libertarians have uh, really written a lot about, you know, uh, different opinions on that. And I don't know where he comes down on that. But that is a very interesting question. I guarantee you that he would be against any government subsidies for any nuclear power plants, sure. which I think would be, in other words, he would be in favor of closing them all down. Because last I heard anyway, last I read about this, none of them turn a profit whatsoever. They are all completely dependent on the government to keep them profitable. So, Well, that's probably due at least partially to over-regulation. Well, yeah, that's probably true. Agencies too, yeah. like the EPA. So, yeah. All right. Well, it was a pleasure to have you, sir. Please come back yeah. and tell Jacob, you know, would love to have him on as well sometime soon. Yeah. Any candidate cool. is welcome so well, thank you guys very much for having me i really do hope that um you'll check out jacob hornberger his site is jacobforliberty.com and he's got all of his issues on there and um by the way at uh, my institute we're doing a fun drive from now until the end of the year at the libertarian institute if anybody's interested in checking that out that's libertarianinstitute.org got a lot of great writers and shows and if you haven't been there guys go check it out some of my very best friends have worked there over the years and been contributors over the years there um people that i absolutely just my life is better because of them so check it out <laughs> right all right guys thanks so much and we will see you next week good night